1: Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. Brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com.
2: Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. I'm Rob Spelling, Content Director on Bike Radar and today I am joined by Warren Rossiter. He's a Senior Technical Editor for The Road from Bike Radar, Cycling Plus as well. Warren, how are you? Very well, thank you. And Tom Marvin, he's tech editor on Bike Radar and also writes for MBUK. He's our mountain biker. Tom, how are you? I'm all right, thank you very much, yes. So we've got a road editor, we've got a mountain bike editor. I would class myself as uh, probably neither of those things, but I'm probably a road cyclist i think it would uh, if i was going to define myself and we're going to talk about what mountain bikers can learn from road cyclists and what road cyclists can learn from mountain bikers and that's quite a wide-ranging conversation that will cover technique training but also technology um on the face of it road bikers and mountain bikers they're just cyclists right and they just like riding bikes so is there a difference? And do these tribes still exist?
0: Well, I think, yeah. I, I mean, I think the lines are becoming much more blurred than they ever were. Um, and that's speaking of somebody who who started off uh, as just a pure mountain biker. Um, my initial forays into, into journalism and media were on the mountain bike side, and then I, I kind of transitioned over into onto the road. So, you know, I'm sort of speaking from from a slightly different position from your traditional roadie, I guess but but um from those early days where you know you wouldn't you wouldn't acknowledge you know roadies wouldn't acknowledge mountain bikes if you rode past them um, and that sort of thing and vice versa um i think those days are sort of gone you know i think everybody understands the we are just all cyclists and and the benefits that can be found from from you know cross-pollination as it were
2: yeah tom you 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 you're cross-pollinated aren't you
1: tom oh well I I like to I like to dabble. Um I'm certainly a, a mountain biker at heart but I've got a a current lockdown penchant for uh road rides and uh I'd say I'm a big fan of the old gravel bikes which is obviously the the most uh, obvious bit of uh cross-pollination between the two camps. Hmm.
2: I mean Maybe we should just have gravel bikes, but that's a whole, you know, that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> and actually probably one we've already done. So if we were going to kick off um, and look at what, well, let's start with what we think um, a mountain mountain bikers could learn from from roadies. And and Tom, you are welcome to disabuse me of this, but, you know, I, I, I kind of think of mountain bikers. They don't really like riding uphill. Mm. Road cyclists like myself and Warren, we love it, don't we, Was? <laughs> to a certain extent <laughs> but but for us you know yeah. it's the pain it's the suffering and it's the, Im- the immense smugness you get at the top of a climb to know you've conquered it mm. mountain bikers either get an e-bike or they get in the back of a minibus and let someone else do all the hard work don't they
1: is that true but, I mean, so- that's that's definitely a a large part of uh, of sort of the, the the public face of mountain biking you know like if you if you see professional mountain bikers most of them are going to be on uh enduro bikes and downhill bikes because that's the coolest uh, inadvertent commas uh, aspect of mountain biking and those things are obviously it's beneficial with a heavier more descent orientated bike to make the uphills slightly less painful and if there's mechanical means to doing that whether it's through a uh, an electric motor wrapped around your bottom bracket or uh an electric motor wrapped around a long chairlift um or a diesel motor in a van um then people are people are going to do that, but I I, I don't think you can too harshly uh, paint every mountain biker with that brush. There's, uh, I think your average mountain biker still pedals the vast majority of their riding. But the climbing side of it is different to road, isn't it? One, I mean, climbing is
2: is an integral part of of road cycling because the Tour de France, the Giro, the Vuelta, even the Tour of Britain. You know, yeah, it's all it, about it, climbing. Uh,
0: I think well that's road cycling for you isn't it there's a sort of um it's romanticized suffering well, <laughs> whether that's riding whether that's riding up a mountain or whether that's you know riding uh, the belgian cobbles um on a bike ill ill designed for it you know it, it's it's about the pain it's about you know the 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 effort etched on your face at the you know at the end of it you know personally i'd, I'd or be all up for it if there was a new sport of road uplifts so you could just do the the big the big down oh, you yeah. could start design you could start designing downhill road bikes you know with super fat slicks and you know big 240 disc rotors on it you know just uh motorbikes with no engine really
1: red bull did a a race um which was for uh, down roads uh, as fast as possible yeah. and it was open to all. Yeah. But I, I was um in my about 10 15 years ago i, I cycled around new zealand um uh, for a, a for a little while, um, and I was riding up a a pass just on the way to Queenstown, I think no, just out of Wanaka towards Queenstown, Queenstown, and uh, cycling up, you know, heavily laden with all my panniers and stuff, and and along comes past this uh, this person, they all start cheering, and I'm like. Looking up at them through my my sweaty face, um, and it was a bus full of of road cyclists being uplifted to the top because the <laughs> descent down to I think it was Wanaka, so Queenstown to Wanaka. The descent to Wanaka is a forty kilometer downhill, um, and they were being oh. shuttled to the top and then yeah. just cruising down. I I mean I had a bloody great time going downhill, um, but they had a, a better time than <laughs> I did going up. Going up because I mean the serious side of of obviously yeah. riding uphill is it just no, makes you a better but, but, rider, I mean, go, doesn't
0: go, it? Go. Going, going back to the point that, that you know Tom was making, I think if you go back to you know um mountain biking in the nineties, um in, in its sort of formative years, it was much more orientated of uh, of the ups and the downs. That was the thing, you know. Hmm. Mountain biking hence the mountain when I was I guess. Doing that it was it it was it was an OS map in your back pocket and you you basically went, you know, the equivalent of hiking. You just went out and you rode up and down, whatever there was. I think because mountain bike technology has moved on at such a rapid pace and the bikes have become so specialized and specific. There's so many sub in, in mountain biking now, um, that, that it, it's almost dictated a, a change in the way people ride. You know, I've been out of, of kind of mountain biking for so long now, I'd be terminally confused about what bike to buy if I wanted to, to get back into it. you know, I, I don't, you know, when, when people are telling me that, oh, yeah, but that's just a, you know, that's like a lightweight enduro bike. And I'm thinking, but it's got more travel than the, my old downhill bike that I used to race on. You know, I don't understand how things have grown so much. You know, I think that's one thing that mountain, mountain biking technology could learn from the road. Simplify it a bit. <laughs> yeah. It's become incredibly confusing.
2: But could you see road going that way i mean you know um is road just not going the way a mountain bike and that's and getting more complicated
1: we've already talked about gravel bikes tom you know is that gonna i mean yeah i i think if you look at road cycling from the outside as a you know like I'm, i i understand road cycling the different genres of, of road bikes but it is Quite confusing as well. You've got your Hyperlight climbers' bikes, whether it's your hill climb ones or the ones that are going to win up the outdoors. You've got aero bikes, you've got endurance bikes, you've got. You know, there's still quite a lot of little classifications within that. Yeah,
0: there, there are, there are, but, but we are seeing convergence on that.
1: But, that, but that's you know, the thing, they, seeing... they all look, I mean, the, the difference between a, a cross-country race bike and a downhill bike visually is stark, the, the difference, but if you, yeah, yeah. A, a road bike, the, the, the differences between them are so minimal, like a degree here and a degree there, but there's nothing else, you know, they all look the same. So from the outside, I would say the differences between road bikes is more confusing than mountain bikes, if you've got only a vague idea. That's my argument.
0: Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe so, but I, I do think you are know, now road bike did run the risk of going down that mm. subdivision and subdivided and subdivided. But but now we're just seeing it kind of converge again. You know, the the aero road bike was shone bright, very you know, very brightly for a short period of time. But I think when we're getting into the next generation of pro level bikes, the aero bike is going to be. Not disappearing, but it's going to become much, much less of a factor. Now, composite technology has moved on so much that they can combine aerodynamics with lightweight. Um, sort of, you sort of think, well, why are there two bikes occupying that space? They're, we only need one. Uh, and I think some of, you know, some of the big brands are realising that.
2: Hmm. So, Tom, is there a, what, what would you put forward as roadies? You need to learn this from mountain bikers. And is there a mountain biking equivalent of the term roadie?
1: I don't think there is a mountain bike equivalent Mounties. of the term. Certainly not. Uh, no, I, I, I don't. I don't really know of one. Maybe a mountain bike bro. I don't know if you're Californian. Uh, thank God we're not. Um, <laughs> I think. I think what we've, we're seeing with um, over the past few years is that the the road market has. I don't want to sort of. Um, I'm not going to say insult it by. Uh, learning things from the mountain bikes but you know you you see the advent of wider tires run at lower pressures you see the introduction of of disc brakes and these are things obviously that mountain bikers have been using for for decades and i i I think the adoption of that within road cycling is interesting um in in many ways and i'm not saying that the road bike designers have have looked at mountain bikers and thought oh hey we need a, a, a a knob you know like a a massively wide tire run at 20 psi but i think the the increase in, in in those understandings of what makes a good product or a good bike um, with those wider tires, better brakes, uh, and all that is is interesting, and of course suspension as well. And we did learn about disc brakes, and we and we all accept them now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is something that that road cycling kind of needed to learn from mountain biking because it's such a a, a newer endeavor and a newer sport has always been technology driven it's from its earliest days it's always been about making something new something new and and different you know you look at those early suspension designs to what we've got now and you know it's like comparing a cart horse with a ferrari they're so so different and things have evolved so much but road cycling has always been steeped in tradition it's things have always been done the way they've been done because that's the way they've been done whether that was gearing whether that was tire width whether that's you know. You know, bikes without disc brakes. You know, we were using brakes that were invented by the Victorians, <laughs> and sort of, you know, in no other form of vehicle would you see that that technology still exists. But road cycling was steeped in tradition. Um, so now, I think as as mountain biking got so popular and became almost the number one buying choice for for the public. All the brands invested in engineers and they invested in technology and a new way of thinking. And now that's permeated, permeated into the road. So if you think about all those great traditional brands, you know, their historic brands, they're no longer the cutting edge they were. They've been superseded largely by, you know, American and Asian brands that have bought in R&D and engineering and things. So that, I think, is, you know, where road cycling has already learned something big from mountain biking.
1: Do you think the but, do you think the UCI with the, you know maybe not so much with wider tires and disc brakes and all this sort of thing, but certainly when it comes to the shape of bikes um and that traditional element, do you think the UCI has got um to shoulder some of the blame for for that perpetuating?
0: Absolutely, absolutely, completely. You know, the UCI has been so e- embedded in historic European mainland-based cycling that, that almost those brands that are, you know, the new world brands, as it were, um, can't get a foot in the door, you know. It, it, you only have to think about, you know, it's, it, it's the example that everybody brings up. But if, if Chris Boardman, the Lotus bike, that he took the hour record on, if that hadn't been made illegal, what would road bikes look like today? If that was our starting point, rather than, you know, the evolutionary dead end it became, you know, the road bike would be unrecognisable today and it'd be amazing to think, how much further you know we would have got in just in sheer aerodynamics you know Mm. Um, every every aerodynamic bike that comes out now is still constrained within the regulations you know if you took those regulations away what what would we you know what could we be riding what sort of speeds could people be achieving you know so tom on the mountain bike side there aren't
2: those restrictions i'm guessing so you know it, that are you saying that's something that road cycling or road could really benefit from and learn from is just being allowed to innovate freely
1: um I, I mean there are some there are restrictions um within mountain bike racing uh and and they are relaxed or changed so this year we're allowed to Yeah, race um mixed wheel size bikes in in downhill for example um and i think the 6.8 kilo race limit still exists in mountain biking as well but obviously the the frame dimension uh restrictions are slightly different in mountain biking i i think it's fair to say that the ability to innovate with shapes and technologies in in mountain bike frame design um, and component design is definitely something that uh the road world. Could um, benefit from it. I think it's interesting how much those UCI rules kind of have dictated the market. I mean, if you if you think about it, what percentage of the population of road cyclists actually race UCI san- sanctioned races? It, it's it's minuscule, and yet the entire bike industry is still producing bikes within those guidelines for the masses, even though the masses don't. Need to apply those rules to their bikes. Well, you got to have rules, mate. Otherwise, it'd just be anarchy. <laughs> Don't be anarchy. we would be riding lotus <laughs> them in aerofoils, or we'd something. we'd all have
2: really bad backs on our commute to work, or worse backs. On but th- I,
1: I, I think you know, if, if going back to sort of Warren's point in, in in the early question about the UCI, the one of the things that mountain biking hasn't learnt from road cycling, and something that has been so prevalent in road cycling, is aerodynamics. If you look at mountain bike design not once have I ever really heard any product manager any press release or anything mention aerodynamics when it comes to mountain biking and yet if you you know if you look at the data of how fast um aerodynamics becomes applicable those speeds are often reached in mountain biking um and I mean I, there's an anecdote actually I spoke to Chris Porter who has been on this podcast a few weeks ago who is Um, we'll call him a visionary in terms of mountain bike design and theory. He's very interesting. He's got some incredible ideas, some of which some people agree with, some don't. But he um, worked on a team um, back in the, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago. And he had a guy, Ben Cathro, who raced downhill um, on this Mojo downhill team. And Chris Porter introduced at Fort William, a downhill ski suit for his team riders to race in. And I remember watching a video where Ben Cathero talked about this. And instead of having all this flappy clothing, they wore this skin suit. And he said he overshot the first corner because he was going into it so much faster that he wasn't ready to... Sort of deal with it and then you saw the explosion of, of lycra skin suits in the world championships of downhill um when they were forced or not forced or asked to wear their national cycling kit which often was borrowed from cross-country and, and road so you had all these downhillers it was fast and then the uci backed down and said okay downhillers specifically wearing this skin tight kit looks a bit crap and they <laughs> forced them to wear baggy clothes because of the cool factor now you can argue up both ways, on it. I thought it was a backwards step. You know, downhill is the, the F1 of mountain biking. It's about going as fast as possible. And the UCI restricted the speeds based on fashion. And I, I don't agree. What, what you find now, sorry to ramble on, but what you find now is that those downhill racers are still wearing that baggy clothes, but it's tailored real tight. So while the racers have recognised the need for aerodynamics in their clothing and their kit, which isn't flapping around... I'm yet to see any bike designers at least say that they've taken this into consideration on their bikes.
2: It's, it's interesting, actually, Tom, because that was one of my thoughts for, you know, what, what could mountain bikers learn is to embrace Lycra. And it seems like you are ready to embrace Lycra on your mountain bike and, and all power to you for that. Because, you know, that's something oh. you, we, know, you know we know you wear your where you, mountain bikers wear padded shorts and they wear padding under their shorts. But, that, you know, w- Warren and I love, prancing around in our leotards and riding our bikes because it's comfortable in it and <laughs> and we think it makes us faster so we think mountain biking mountain bikers should join us and they should also shave their legs
1: i mean i, I, I i'll stick my hand up and say i'm actually quite a fan of of wearing like i mean I, I ride cross-country bikes quite a lot and if I'm going to go for a like a fast short two hour ride on a cross country bike, I'll wear a lycra because it's it's the right clothing to wear for the job. And if it's you know if it's wet and cold outside, lycra performs better than some like cling filmy baggy short that's flapping around your thighs and getting caught in your saddle. It's a pain in the ass. That said, if I'm going trail riding in a commas or enduro riding or something, I'm going to wear baggy clothes. Partly because you look like a bit of a tit wearing lycra <laughs> on a big you know, enduro bike, I'm not going to lie. I mean, the UCI got that bit right. It, you look stupid. It is faster. Um, but also, there is some element of of scuff protection, you know. Yeah. Uh, I've got a pair of Cordura shorts, which, you know, if, if you fall on the ground, is going to give a bit more protection.
2: That, that makes perfect sense. And, and talking about falling on the ground, um, mountain bikers are better descenders, right? Is that true? Warren, you have a, you have a mountain biking background, as you explained. I followed you from a distance many a time downhill. You know, I'm not a great climber. Sometimes can get to the top before you if we ever ride together, but there's absolutely no way I I will ever get to the bottom before you. So roadies, what can they learn from mountain bikers about descending? And i, and I start with you, Warren, because you
0: cross both, in both divides. I think, uh, I think, I think it's, um, it's confidence it's you know um when you ride a mountain bike you as part of the course you kind of explore the levels of grip you explore what a tire can do um and it's a conversation i've had with lots and lots of mountain bikers who've never really got out onto the road i mean there'll a lot lot more mountain bikers now are, are are using a you know using a road bike for training or for commuting or whatever and it's a conversation i have all the time is they're going how, how can you go that fast downhill through a corner on those little skinny tires and i'm going because they have more grip, they're, they're designed to grip on tarmac. You know, F one cars don't have don't have tread patterns on their tires, only in the rain. But in the dry, it's a full slick. That's the best way. You'd be amazed the amount of grip that you'll get from a road tire. It's astonishing levels of grip. I feel more confident going fast downhill on the road than I do going fast downhill off road. I just do because I, I you can really really exploit that grip. Uh, but I think for for. For roadies, I would say go mountain biking once in a while, or or get a gravel bike, but don't just use it to ride down the you know tra- dirt tracks. Go and ride some single track. Go and ride some proper mountain bike terrain on it because you'll learn so much about your 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 confidence in handling, and you'll learn how to handle because it, it, it's once in a blue moon. will you lose traction on a road bike, and then you you're gonna have to try and catch it or whatever on your average mountain bike ride, you'll probably have those moments three or four times in a three hour ride. And you soon learn how to react when, you know, when something has the potential to go wrong. And so I think, you know, I I think we're, especially, I mean, it's become incredibly prevalent during this sort of lockdown time when people's road riding has been restricted and you see everybody is just jumping on turbo trainers and, and, you know, Swift, et cetera, and, and getting fitter and stronger and everything. But but I don't think it's making anybody a better cyclist. It's making you a better engine. But it's, the joy of cycling for me is is handling and control and, you know, descent descending comes into that. Or just, you know, apexing the corner properly. You know, getting out of a corner as fast or faster than you came into it. You know, that's that's the joy of of the efficiency of it. So, I mean, I think that's where, where road cycling could really, really learn from mountain biking. But I also think if we're, you know, if you bring it back to the fitness and and, and people's approach to fitness in in road cycling, be that, you know, training with power, training with heart rate, uh, eating properly, uh, doing structured training, mountain biking could really learn from that as well, because most mountain bikers I know, their training involves going for a big ride uh, and nothing, you know, nothing more. They're not going to go out and do intervals. They're not going to go out and ride to power or ride to heart rate or those sorts of things. Um, and, And, you know, it, being being fitter improves your bike handling and with better bike handling, you can get fitter. So it, it, it's a two-way street. And I think, you know, um, there are plenty of things in road cycling that I wouldn't advise men and bikers to do to make themselves fitter, but um, we don't need to get into those. But, Tom, I mean, that's an,
2: inter- that's an interesting point Warren has raised there about the training aspect of it, because I know you, during lockdown, are one of those people that's been spending quite a lot of time indoors on you you know you're testing out some pretty advanced um bikes that you can link up to things like zwift and and as a mountain biker basically i guess riding indoors that's something roadies do quite a lot so riding indoors as a mountain biker sounds ridiculous but actually from a fitness point of view
1: would you recommend it yeah yeah i mean it's you know there's no denying that going out on a mountain bike ride is is more fun um, especially if you've got reasonable riding near you and you've got a bike that's appropriate for that riding. But it is, it's a bit of a faff. You know, you've got to get your bike out, you've got to get the right kit on, you come back, you're maybe a bit dirty, you know, all this sort of stuff. I can do like a, a workout on, uh, at the moment, I've got this Tax Neo bike. You know, I can do a, a proper structured workout on that pretty easily in, in 35 to 45 minutes and get a lot of benefit from that. And I can do that before work. And, Do I enjoy it? I I enjoy it from that sort of pain aspect that road cycling is so well known for, you know, for having. I I, I do enjoy that. Um, I'm yet to give up a mountain bike ride to go on an indoor bike, though. The payoff's just not quite worth it. Okay, you wouldn't swap then. You know, you wouldn't spend all of your time indoors. No, but it's it's a good addition, and I, I think going to that training sort of uh point again like the training and fitness i mean i haven't done particularly structured training but i've definitely tried hard over winter and and in through spring to get fitter and the benefits on the mountain bike are really noticeable like the 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 riding i've been able to do the past few weeks you know yesterday i was out on a shoot um Got there at 11, left at half five, six o'clock, and just rode because I, I could ride that long, and the trails are so good. it just means you know it's that argument about e-bikes, oh yeah, you can ride the same track loads more times than you would on a normal bike. It's like well yeah, if you're fitter, you can also do that if you've got enough time to do it, and it's just really nice being able to not have to worry about you know whether you're going to be knackered towards the end because you' just go and do it. So yeah I'm a big big proponent of, of uh, a bit of training, and definitely Zwift and, and that a lot has helped. Do you think there's anything
2: else? Anything else we could uh, we could swap? You know, we could do um,
0: the, the one thing. The, the one thing I would say um, that that mountain bikers could learn from from roadies is uh, uh, cleanliness. <laughs> it's like literally, literally hygiene, keeping your bike clean. Oh, <laughs> personal hygiene, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's 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 literally keeping your bike clean. You know, I've I, you know I've seen so many guys in <laughs> around the office, that, you know on a on mountain bike, and you're looking at the drivetrain going, oh my God, why is that even still working? And do you realise the amount of energy you're expelling just to make that really badly maintained mechanical system to keep going? You know, I've, uh, you know, I've seen firsthand when I've been out to see, you know, when I was out in Denmark with um, Ceramic Speed for a week, I, I've seen firsthand data on on how much just keeping your chain clean, you know, and keeping, keeping lubrication levels proper, how much that saves in, in just sheer energy and, and mechanical efficiency you know um to be honest it it, it the the benefits of a clean chain that's properly lubed with the, with the correct lube for the for the situation it's worth more than you know spending hundreds and hundreds of pounds on strike there you know and, and you know and all those other mechanical tricks or or upgrades you could do just a you know and so most mountain bikers is just yeah you know don't don't neglect don't 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 neglect the mechanics of your bike when you get back from a ride just just clean it down make sure it's lube properly because you know it will serve you much better and it'll be much more efficient i think that's definitely
1: a uh, something i'm guilty of i've got i've got one <laughs> you know. bottle of finish line green top lube that basically just does everything every couple of months or something i don't know or, you know just wazz it on it's fine um I I, I I think looking at the roadie world um, through very sort of mountain bike orientated specs, I, I think roadies need to just Hogwarts. chill out a little bit, enjoy the ride, enjoy the views. You know, like I get, road cycling is quite a serious sport, or certainly can be. You know, you got to head down, check your data, get your get your KOMs, and and that's cool. I enjoy that, but uh, I, I think there's something to be said for a nice higher up position, taking in the the hills around you, uh, and, and having a bit of fun with your buddies um, rather than getting too serious about everything. That would be too my, serious.
2: Too serious and too competitive.
1: I think I think there's not everyone obviously who road cycles is too serious and too competitive, but I think if you if you averaged out the seriousness of a road cyclist and the seriousness of a mountain biker, I think they could they could meet somewhere in the middle. Road mountain bikers need to get fitter and need to train more and take more care about their bikes. Road cyclists need to, on average, just enjoy it a bit more. <laughs> just lighten up. Uh-
0: yeah. I think that's true to yeah be honest. Sure. you know if I if I'm brutally honest you know um we were, we were talking on a previous podcast about about bike launches and things and um uh, you know the myriad amount of times that I've been sort of looked at weirdly because I've bunny hopped a sleeping policeman <laughs> or bunny hopped a cattle grate or or you know seen a curb that I can get a little bit of a launch off and and got a bit of air on a road bike and then you get you know sort of hyper serious um mainly non-speaking non-english speaking Europeans that will look at you like you just shot their dog you know it's a it's a weird thing
1: <laughs> speaking of, speaking of those two sort of the, the, the two sides of it i think the obvious answer really is is gravel cycling i know we're yeah, not going we're not going to touch on it, two. but like gravel cycling right it's quite fun you get to see the countryside and you get a bit of training in there it's like it's the perfect mix i mean can we, we just yeah you know, can we just have like a gravel cycling uk magazine or something because i'm our all con- over it our conclusion is what psych, What mountain bikers and road cyclists
2: can learn from each other and vice versa is let's get rid of road cycling. Let's get rid of mountain biking. Let's just grow gravel riding, <laughs> and that's the only discipline we need. On that bombshell, I think we'll end the uh, uh, we'll end the podcast. <laughs> Tom, thank you very much. Thank you, Rob and Warren. Thank you very much and of course yeah
0: i'm just i'm just about to go and chuck a road bike in a skip and you know you've convinced me
2: <laughs> and you've probably got enough gravel bikes in your garage haven't you that uh that you could do that quite happily
0: um, i think yeah
2: <laughs> thank you very much for listening i hope you enjoyed it um obviously do subscribe if you don't already subscribe and uh leave comments wherever you can about us we're uh and and pass this on to your friends pass the pod on to people Uh, and once again thank you for listening goodbye
1: thank you for listening to the bike radar podcast if you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling check out bikeradar.com